Have you received one of those text messages or that phone call or that doctor's visit that changes everything? Where time stands still as if in an instant, life will never be the same for you. Perhaps someone has died in your life. Perhaps you've lost a relationship, a friendship, a lover, a husband, a wife. Perhaps you've received some diagnosis, some health, cancer, diabetes. Perhaps you were fired from your job. Perhaps your mom or your dad has died. I wanted to talk to you today about one of those big moments in my life that set me on a path that changed my life entirely. On March 17th, 2003, almost 16 years ago, it's hard to believe, and I'm very grateful to be alive because I was diagnosed with HIV. And then in 2008, I had an official AIDS diagnosis, which means that my T-cells had dropped below 200 copies, which is a formal diagnosis of AIDS. And so today I want to open up my heart, break away from topic a little bit. We've been talking a lot about meditation, and I want to share with you a few ideas that I've been thinking. And so welcome to podcast episode 104, Cultivating Fortune from your misfortune. Welcome to Viral Mindfulness, the podcast. I am your host, Alexander Blue, spiritual coach and your creative muse. The place I feel is most poetic for us to start is for me to share with you and read right from my journal, right from that day, that entry. So here it is, March 17th, 2003. I wrote March 17th, 2003 over and over about seven times. Then I wrote St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's Day, better wear green, spring break 2003, spring break 2003. I met a cute boy. I met a cute boy. Interesting how I wrote first about meeting a cute boy on that same day. Yes, I did meet a cute boy that day as well, later in the day, before I start writing about HIV and AIDS. And I think that that's pretty apropos. You know, talking about HIV AIDS is difficult. It is a known fact for those who live with HIV AIDS that that stigma and the shame that they carry with this that comes with this, frankly. It's not something we're just carrying, in my opinion. It's something that is passed down to you. It's part of the system, the Kool-Aid. It's part of the structure. So here's the journal entry. Silence, alone. I can almost hear the walls. It's strange how your life can change in a matter of seconds. How something you thought is now inconsistent or changed forever. I always thought I could leave this at one point and find a wife and children and be actively Mormon again. And now, I'm not sure. I stand at the edge of a steep cliff and I see the other side, but truly wonder how I will or can I ever make it to that side. I cannot even write the words. It's hard enough to say them. Time has lost its meaning today. It hasn't exactly stood still, but time is different. 
I wonder about my time and what's to become of my life. Everything hit like a brick wall. I sometimes space out. I lose my focus. Where's my keys, my wallet, school, bills, work, food? What's that? My life has changed forever. This path I now forge is new, unknown, and fucking scary. I want to live. I want to be alive. The layers are so complex. All my values, ideas, beliefs, and feelings are circulating around and around and around, looking for some direction. I don't know what to feel, what to say, or what to think. Whom should I tell? How will others feel about me? What will it feel like to hug another person knowing that I carry a deadly, complicated, and highly misunderstood disease? Wooshka. All right, I'm just going to respond to what I just read as if I'm hearing it for the first time too. So how interesting that I don't even write about, oh my gosh, I got an HIV diagnosis and how super ridiculous that I'm sitting here writing about meeting a cute boy, like who the F cares? And then I'm like looking at the the place that I stood in my life. So I really think that that's the first thing I wanted to just point out to you is that in 2002, I was finishing, I had one more year of graduate school of social work at the University of Utah. And I had spent the summer of 2002 in Eastern Europe doing an internship and then traveling to Switzerland and to Paris, to Greece, and had this huge life-changing, that big moment where you see that the world is so much bigger and there are so many languages and cultures and people and tribes. And it finally gave me the courage and the strength to come home in 2002, the end of the summer, and walk away from Mormonism. I had done everything in my 20s to be to be like Mormon and struggling with same-sex attraction and looking for Jesus and religion to be the answer. And the only thing I hadn't done was leaned into being gay and to dating men and having sex with men. And so that's what I embarked on in the fall of 2002, which is the precursor to this 2003 March 17th diagnosis day. I had started dating, I had started dating and having sex, and there was my transmission point. And not that it's any of your business. Like one of the things about this disease and stigma, it's like there are only several ways that you get this virus. And so why do we even have to ask someone? Like you already know. And so what is that asking about for you? You know, why do you need to know Oh, do you need to know, did Alexander get it? Was he on drugs? Were you having condomless sex? There are a lot of opportunities, I think, for you to naturally step into a barrier between you and that person and to create judgment. And I really think that it's very wise if someone were to tell you they're HIV positive, you just look at them and you touch them and you grab their hand and you kiss their hand or their cheek or their lips. I love you. Great. Tell me about this for you. Tell me how you would like me to be here to support you. What does this mean for you? You know, because someone 
each person is going to go on an individual journey with this. And one of my biggest concerns at this point is that we're just handing people this virus and we're saying, hey, here you go. It's just like diabetes. You're going to be fine. You're going to be this. And so here we're already dealing with a group of people who are marginalized, who aren't used to being able to connect with their voice and their strength and their power. And it's highly riddled with shame and stigma. And so then we're like, here, just go. You're going to be fine. Be grateful. At least you're not dying. At least it's not like the old days. And I question that entirely because of some of the things that I've been through and some of the things that I still notice. And so I think that's a big thing that we could be asking. Who is who is bringing new HIV people who are newly diagnosed into this world? Where is the mentorship program? Where is the sponsorship program? Where's your pause buddy? Where's an HIV AIDS person who has walked and felt and is right there with you in it, has it in their bloodstream? Why do we not have a system of that, you know, that's my question. And that's my big point. And it's I'm going to do something about it, people. You better believe that I have plenty of ideas as I build my course academy to take portions of profits to make things like this happen for this world, this world that brought me into that cracked me open. So back to where I was, I was just coming out of Mormonism and religion. And so here I am looking at my journal entry and I'm looking at how I had always had this thought that I could leave again that was so instilled in me is that I could have that I had of a choice about who I'm attracted to. Um, yes, I have a choice about who I can be with or want to be with or choose to date or have sex with or marry. And here I am in that place and it's just so foreign to me. Sometimes I have a hard time even relating to this version of myself. And I think that's sometimes why it's difficult for me still to talk about, well, not still, it's, it's, come, it's becoming a little difficult for me to talk about HIV. I didn't want to do this podcast. I, I just want to move forward. And I remember the words of a clinician that I heard speak back in my therapy days who was a writer and... Um, an Unquiet Mind um, is, is the book, and I think it's Lynn, Lynn Redison. Or she struggles with bipolar and had to finally surrender to being medicated with lithium. And An Unquiet Mind laid out the stigma and the mental health stigma. And she said live when I saw her speaking, you know, I, I, I learn from this, I teach from it, I write from it. And it stood with, it stayed with me that this is part of who I am as I teach. You know, I'm a mindfulness teacher. I'm a meditation teacher. I used to teach people. I've taught my entire life. That's what I've done longest and most consistently. And so um, it's easier sometimes just to meld in and just to not have HIV and just move on. And it's not going to work for me. And so I'm challenging myself to show up here today to talk to you about this. Today's episode is brought to you by Viral Mindfulness Academy. I'm 
deliberately and intentionally working on my very first B course. That is a BE course, that's right. Because knowledge isn't really anything until you put it into practice, until you take that knowledge and you be it. And so my first course is about guided meditation and it's called Makes It Happen, a 45 day guided meditation experience and adventure with Mr. Blue. More details coming about this soon. Since my HIV diagnosis 16 years ago, a lot of other life events have happened that have felt very difficult as well. And I am training myself to do my best to not fall into this propensity where I think that at some point I arrive and that life will no longer happen. And I just don't think that that's true. I think that even I've noticed for me recently with a funeral that I went to this winter, that what came up at this funeral were a lot of other points of grief and loss in my own journey, in addition to what I was experiencing with that current funeral. And so it makes me think of this really interesting idea from Pema Chodron. You know how much I love Pema Chodron. I've been listening to some of her Dharma talks and she said, we're always in some sort of mood and whatever that mood is, is the path. Whatever occurs, that's the path. That's your path. That's my path. So whatever happens to you, whatever life events that are happening, that is your path. So I'm going to answer a couple questions that I get often uh, asked when I talk about HIV AIDS. About two years ago, I spent a year speaking on panels at college campuses and high schools here in Southern California. This year, I haven't done much of that. Actually, I haven't done any this year. And the question, two questions I get asked often, one is, how did your family respond to this? And the other one they ask about is the cute boy I met, Jake Rowe. So let me answer the family question one. You know, it was very difficult for me in 2003 to talk to the people in my family. I was living in Utah and all of my family was outside of Utah in California. And I, I don't remember where my dad was. No, they were all in California. And on that very diagnosis day of March 17, 2003, I met a boy, a, a, yeah, he was a boy named Jake Rowe, and we became friends. He was also HIV positive. And the way I met him, I was in grad school at the University of Utah, and my good friend Shauna was working at the AIDS Foundation where I had gone to receive my HIV test. So when I came in two weeks later, because... It took two weeks to get your results at that time. And when I came back in that day, Shauna was there with a woman from the health department named Sue, and they gave me the HIV results together. And they asked for my permission to have my friend in there. And I was like, well, of course, it didn't dawn on me at all that I was getting an HIV diagnosis. I thought I had an STI, didn't think it was HIV. And so... Shauna, at that point, after a couple hours of intense talking, she said that I turned white like a ghost. It was one of the most difficult offering of results that she had given because we were friends and were studying social work together. And I asked her after, before I left the foundation around 1130 a.m., I, I said, do you know someone I can talk to? 
who has HIV who's been through this. And she's like, you know, I do know someone. Let me call him and see if he's interested. That was Jake. And so from that moment, Jake was doing whatever he was doing in his life, gets the call from Shauna. Jake actually was sitting on the board of trustees at the Utah AIDS Foundation and was finishing up a graduate degree in business at Westminster College in Utah. And he met me around 6 p.m., came and picked me up, and we had dinner, and we had a huge connection, and there was a huge bond. And regardless, we spent about five years together, and eventually he ended up dead in his apartment alone with too many drugs in his system. Mind you, this was just, you know, about four years ago, and he had been in another relationship. He had tested positive for hep C as well because he continued down a journey of drugs and needles. And he had lost his other relationship after me. He had suicided, um, had been found dead with a needle in his arm in their apartment in Salt Lake. Um, And that was actually on St. Patrick's Day. So it was a St. Patrick's Day in probably around 2009 or 10 when I, 10, I reached out to him on St. Patrick's Day, our day, just, you know, just reaching out in a friendly way. And he answered the phone and was like flabbergasted that I was calling. And how did I know? And I'm like, how did I know what? And then he told me that he had just found his boyfriend dead in their apartment with a needle in his arm. And it was, I was so grateful to be not in a relationship with him. And I knew that that's where it was headed for us. You know, I started using drugs a couple years into my HIV diagnosis. So I had never participated in alcohol or drugs. I I started that after this diagnosis. And um, Jake and I jumped in the deep end. I jumped in with him willingly and started using meth and started using a needle and It was crazy. And it was one of my ways of not coping or trying to cope or going through my experience with all that I had been through and all that I was avoiding. And so from there, you know, it opened up a lot of misfortune in my life that I brought on myself with drugs and with addiction. And then, you know, Jake and I broke up and it was his idea. I couldn't do it myself. I was overly attached and overly codependent in a lot of ways. And he wanted to just be friends. And we went to my therapist. And that's what happened. And it was really difficult for me. My sister will still tease me remember that day when you called me. And I, I, I was sitting in my parking lot behind my apartment in downtown Salt Lake City. And I knew that this relationship was over. And I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. And I just had that feeling that that knowingness like in my gut that this was done and it was the most frightening thing for me and yet it was amazing because again here was this misfortune in a breakup and I mean look where I am now in 2019 you know I have such an advocacy for being solo and single and I'm totally open to dating and having a relationship for sure It's not like that. But I'm also a huge advocate to say, you know, we can be single solo um, and be fantastic. And we don't have to be, you know, missing a piece. And there are so many experiences that we get to have as humans. 
So my family, the question, see, I can get totally going on this topic. My family, they were all outside of the state and I didn't really know how to tell them. And so I think the first person that I told was my little brother, Tim. And that's because he had come up to Utah during that year and could tell something had shifted in me. And he kind of guessed. And so I told him, and then I went down to Southern California and uh, with Jake, maybe that summer, and I stayed with my dad and my stepmom, and we told them together. And then from there, it was the next year, so it would have been the winter of 20, 2004, my doctor, my HIV doctor, Dr. Wanda Updike, Wanda Updike, you changed my life. Oh, she is such an amazing person. And if you're listening to this by chance, I am so grateful that you were the divine feminine presence of kindness and compassion that walked me for almost a decade into this world of HIV. You set a tone of peace and kindness and compassion that has called me and beckoned me to where I sit today. And I truly, truly honor the work that you do and did. And I'm not sure where you are, but I love you. And I'm so grateful. And so then I made a decision through meetings with her that I needed to just tell my family. And, you know, I, she's like, you don't need to go to Utah and do this. Like you can do it on the phone, you know, you can talk to your family. And so I just made an appointment to talk to everyone within a couple hours because I didn't, I know how my family is and I didn't want to tell one person then have them all tell each other. I wanted to be the one to have the experience to share this information. And so I did that. And it was really interesting how they all responded. Like my sister totally like cried and was really like upset. My mom said she expected that this day would come um, or something along that lines. And And then my siblings, the others, I think that's where I'll just leave it. So I don't think it's easy for people with HIV to talk about it even still. And that's another concern at this point in the game. It's like, how many times are you even last year seeing, you know, famous actors or celebrities coming out with their HIV status? And, you know, it's one of those barriers that still needs to be addressed. Welcome to this episode's Joni Jam. That's right. All hail to the Joni Mitchell. This is the song Blue, and it is from her album Blue, which this makes the titular song. It's the song, you know, that comes from the album with the title. Oh my gosh, it's such a fun word, titular. Titular, titular. So her album Blue was the very first album that I decided to acquaint myself with the vast ocean of Joni Mitchell music. And it's been such a great adventure. And J.E. Terrio, thanks for welcoming me to the world of Joni Mitchell.
HIV, hands down, has been one of the greatest teachers in my life, if not the greatest one. And so I wanted to wrap this podcast up with giving you several action steps and ideas, perhaps a muse of inspiration for you. Number one, I really think it's super important that we create a spiritual space, a canvas, fertile soil, where over the years, being a human, you can paint with your feelings or no feelings, where you can work with your stigma, your shame, where you can burn, where you can begin again. Many of you know what some of those spaces are for me, like yoga and meditation, my mindfulness practice, my art, my relationships and friendships and family, piano, painting with watercolors. There's a reason why I believe and know to be experiencing this in my life, coming into contact with HIV and AIDS and the subsequent life events that I chose to be a part of has given me an opportunity to be alive, to choose a more deliberate, intentional life. And it doesn't mean I don't make mistakes all along the way. So that brings me to the second point, which is don't give up, get up. Get up. Don't give up, get up. You're going to make mistakes. In fact, all around the internet right now, you're going to hear it and see it make more mistakes. Talk about your failures. From your failures, that often is the fertile soil or the springboard for your next more intentional and deliberate experience, your greater contribution. So number three, talk about it until you don't need to, and then you'll catch yourself talking about it, and then you'll challenge yourself to stop talking about it. But in the beginning, you need to talk about it and you need to feel it and you need to get it out and write about it. As I look back over my 16 years, even though I was in the middle of addiction with drugs for about 10 years, I'm so grateful that I was willing to not give up and to keep going. And while I was doing it, I still had this obsession about helping and teaching. And so even in the middle of all that, I still would get up and do something and try and offer and teach and you know, share my story. And so talk about it. The fourth thing I mentioned earlier in today's podcast, which is, I believe and know at this point that it would be very helpful for people who are coming into an HIV diagnosis to have some sort of mentorship, to have some sort of buddy, a companion, a spiritual friend who will usher you into this world. I don't think it's good enough for us just to pat them on the back and tell someone, be grateful, you know, you're alive, you're going to live a normal life, take your meds and move into this experience, you know, like you'd get diabetes or some other condition. There is truth to that, but the subtle lie, the undetectable trauma and stigma and shame and secrecy is that we don't give resources to this topic that is very interesting to carry. And so I am going to do something about it, and you will see that evolving over the next few years as I grow my online business. Number five, get on to increasing your salary and your bank account and your revenue of peace and joy. 
It's so easy for us to talk about making six figures and five figures and doing this. And then we came to our seven figure. What about seven figures of peace? What about a huge salary with benefits of joy? Start focusing on that component of your life. Number six, stillness, quiet, silence, contemplative practice. There is something so simple and so substantial in this conversation. So I would encourage you to start the journey now of making friendship, becoming friends with stillness and quiet and silence and this type of practice. Number seven, don't let your sorrow make evil of you. We all have sorrow. This is part of being a human is to experience all of it. And from our sorrow, from our misfortune, from our HIV diagnosis, from the cancer diagnosis, from your friend who committed suicide, from you who just quit your job because you can't do it anymore and you're wanting to follow your dream, for you, you know, who's looking at your homeland and you've returned home and you're realizing that home is not real anymore, for you who has anger and, and resentment towards your friends and your families, for you who is struggling with crystal meth addiction, for you who is discouraged and doesn't know how to get up, don't let your sorrow make evil of you. And it brings me to eight, which is let that sorrow and let that energy also turn into a creative force. Let all of this brew and simmer and churn inside you and focus some of that energy weekly on creative pursuits. So one of the things I did last year in 2018, when I was celebrating my commemorating my 15th year with HIV, I started writing poems about stigma. So I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode today with one of my original poems and let you know what's coming in the next couple weeks with podcast episode 105 and 106. I'm going to be taking you back to the first two times I had major life-changing experiences with meditation and one was kind of a imagery-based guided meditation experience. One was when I was 18 That'll be up first. And then after that, I'll talk about the first time I really sat into my anxiety and fear of being alone. And this came after my diagnosis of HIV. And so from there, we'll pick up with our beautiful exploration of meditation and guided imagery. So it's been an honor to spend some time with you today on this very dear topic to my heart. I hope you enjoy this poetry and I'll see you next time on Viral Mindfulness, the podcast. This podcast poem was written by none other than yours truly. This is an untitled poem that's still in development. Shell your musk, the hair that masks your muscle, glistens in blue moonlight. Your lips spark my ignition and rev my under-the-tree erection. Smooth scalp summons my fingers. Electricity connects our warm bodies, pulsating with heat 
and pheromones and surging semen. I find strength in your attentive and dancing eyes melt the attic of my heart. Tiptoeing up a winding staircase, torture torches of fire sparkle along brick as we climb high away from devices and sad patience and stories of stigma, undecided cardinals in robes pardoning our sinful serpent-like river, quickening the spine through chakras of colorful memories we will forever cherish from the simple bench where we first sat naked and hungry and finished four-handed on the piano playing sounds of new music. Let me be your muse to music, mindfulness, creativity, and compassion over at my website, viralmindfulness.com. You can also find me regularly throughout the week over at Instagram. That's also at Viral Mindfulness.